Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello. And I'm Nick Nanos. Welcome to Trendline. I'm filling in for Michael Stittle over the next few weeks. Uh, and this week, we're going to be discussing the state of the Canada-US relationship following the first bilateral meeting between Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and US President Joe Biden. Nick, how'd that go? Seemed to go pretty good. Maybe it's back to normal, back to the future, whatever, but better than before. How's that? Fair enough. Definitely a lot more warm fuzzies. Uh, and later, we're going to dive into the state of the vaccine rollout, how the government is faring with all of that fire. And will there be a spring election after all? We're going to talk realistic expectations. So Nick, as we just touched off there, this first virtual Zoom-a-Zoom tete-a-tete between Prime Minister Trudeau and Joe Biden happened, and it seemed like it was basically a reset of the agenda and the relationship following Trump's departure. Absolutely. Less awkward, that's 100%, because there was a lot of awkwardness and uncertainty before. And uh, may, and like I said, we we're going getting back to a normal routine. What's interesting, you know, when we poll Canadians about the relationship between Canada and the United States, we see a big change between when Donald Trump was president and now with Joe Biden as the president. And when we ask Canadians about positive trade relationships, uh, the U.S. is up about 17 points uh, with, what, are we going to call it the Biden bump, Rachel? I don't know, but it's up. At least Canadians are feeling a little more positively inclined towards the U.S. when it comes to a good trade relationship. And it seemed that both sides were very happy to be sitting down and doing this, Biden making it clear they want to kind of start things off on a good foot. And the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, was also very uh happy and glad to be sitting down. Here's a little bit of him getting in, I think, a bit of a dig at, at, at Trump. Uh, as we move forward, there's, there's a lot to rebuild. We're also going to talk about climate change. And, and thank you again for stepping up in such a big way uh, on uh, tackling climate change. Uh, U.S. leadership has been sorely missed uh, over the past, uh, past years. So, Nick, as you were saying, it seems like generally Canadian sentiment towards our American friends and allies and neighbours is warming. Um, but I think a lot of the conversation inside that room after those warm fuzzies probably got to some of the tougher issues by American and the state of things like uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. So I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, how important was this meeting? Yes, for the symbolic friendliness, but also in terms of the real issues that Canada and the U.S. still have to work out. Well, there, there are a lot of issues to work out, including kind of, they talked about joint response and a coordinated response to the pandemic. There are also a number of trade issues. The border is closed, which is very unusual uh, for both countries. But to your point, Rachel, um, there are still some pretty sticky issues and tough issues that both, uh, both countries have to work through. But what it looks like is that there's some goodwill and that perhaps we're in a pattern that is more similar to the past where Canadian, the Canadian administration and the American administration can kind of work through these issues. And it looks like at least Biden's happy to meet with the prime minister. The prime minister is happy to meet with him. So at least that's one good step. Right. And, and I think a couple of things that at least we don't know were on the agenda or didn't get talked about. Uh, of course, there's been this question of whether Canada was going to ask the United States for vaccine doses. Uh, to help us out with our supply here, or whether there was going to be any sort of exemptions for Canada in this buy American approach that Biden has taken. Do you think it was a miss by Trudeau to not kind of more forcefully say that he talked about those issues with Biden? I don't think so. I think Trudeau has to be very careful because uh, the fact of the matter is, is that Trudeau needs, uh, needs to have a good positive working relationship with Joe Biden on a lot of these big issues. To press him too hard too fast is probably strategically not a good move. 
And, uh, you know, it looks like maybe we're back to quiet diplomacy where, uh, you know, it's all uh, smiles and handshakes and then behind closed doors, there's tough negotiating, but that, uh, but that it's positive negotiating for both Canada and the United States. So I don't think uh, we could expect much in this first meeting, but there will be higher expectations, Rachel, 100% with uh, Joe Biden compared to Donald Trump. And I think the other part of this too is they both frame this as we have two progressive nations now working together, Canada and the US. This is an opportunity to seize on and move ahead with some big, more progressive issues. And we've heard Jagmeet Singh push them on that here uh, and, and in the States as well, the Democrats, a lot of them are pushing Biden to go further and he's made some pretty big commitments. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to watch over the next couple years or year, depending on how long Trudeau is still in office here. Um, what they are able to accomplish and whether there is strength in numbers in moving forward on some of these bigger, you know, democratic institutions, building those things up, climate change. Those are big issues that both got talked about this week. Yep. And so the other topic kind of touching off of the vaccine conversation, of course, we'd be remiss to not address the thing that I think is still on most of our minds most prominently, uh, which is the vaccine rollout. So this week, Canada received the largest number of vaccine doses to date, it was 643,000 or so landing in this country, combined from Pfizer and Moderna. So this is welcome news, I think fair to say, for a lot of people who are eligible, even though eligibility right now is still quite limited. Uh, and also, I think good news to the government who has been facing a shortage and a lot of people asking why and when over the last month or so. Uh, they've definitely been feeling the heat from the opposition parties for sure. Here's Aaron O'Toole on that. We need the vaccines so we can get them in the arms of Canadians and, and focus on, on our economic well-being. So Nick, based on these latest figures, Canada's still really far behind when it comes to vaccinating its citizens. Uh, are we yet starting to see public sentiment shift around how the mass immunization campaign is going? Well, you know, the one thing that we do know, uh, Rachel, is that uh, the coronavirus is still a top of mind issue. About 41% of Canadians identify as the top issue, like 30 points ahead of jobs and the environment and, and uh, healthcare. But, you know, in recent polling that we've done for CTV News and the Global Mail suggests that there's a lot of people that are concerned uh, and actually don't give the federal government uh, very positive marks, like a 4.7 out of 10, which is like an F, you know, for anyone that uh, hopefully no one ever got an F, but that's a bad score. Uh, so, uh, you know, what we see, what we've been seeing is, is that liberal, I'll say the advantage that many incumbent governments enjoyed in 2020, the liberals and also provincial incumbent governments has basically, uh, is starting to dissipate because of uh, vaccine anxiety and people wondering like, how long is it going to take? And, uh, I think until uh, Canadians see in a significant way, vaccines on the streets, you know, with people being inoculated, I think it's going to be a rough ride for any incumbent government, federal or provincial. Right. And so with that in mind, when we're talking about when we actually are going to see mass vaccinations on the streets, for most of us, based on the latest timelines, it's July to September. So I guess we could expect a lot of other things being put in the window between now and then. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, what we saw last week, right? We saw the federal government move on a couple of big progressive uh, policy issues, things that, yes, were longstanding commitments that they said they were going to do, but possibly also well-timed uh, with the lull in the vaccine rollout. So this included new crackdown on uh, gun violence and firearms in Canada, as well as a, a move to eliminate more mandatory minimums. 
uh, that the federal government has said over the years has been proven to target racialized and other uh, minority communities disproportionately. So do you think, Nick, that, you know, putting those in the window when they did was about distracting from the vaccine dose dilemma? Well, I think, I think it includes two things. It, it does include distracting and kind of trying to change the channel because, you know, whenever any government introduces legislation, it chews up space in the media and uh, we learn about what the government is doing. There's another element, and that's what I'll call the housekeeping element. You know, TikTok, we know that an election is going to come at some point. We don't know how soon or late that might be. But, you know, for the liberals, they're probably, to your point, looking at everything that they've promised things in their mandate that they want to deliver on. And these two things came up. So it's kind of like housekeeping, check, check, get these out the door. And coincidentally, uh, these came out at a time when the prime minister was getting a pretty rough ride in the media and from Canadians about our vaccination response. So it's basically, it's a bit of a political two for one. Yeah, and I think as well, putting um, those positions out there on a week where you maybe want to have conversations other than vaccines, but you're also then putting it on the opposition parties to respond and take a position that later down the line could be contentious for them. Um, and uh, like you said, they these were longstanding commitments. They do have other bills and legislation that they have to get through, um, even though the pandemic is going on, as we've all seen, you know, life and work has to go on to a certain degree. Uh, so I think that was also probably um, a factor in the timing of this. They have so many bills, so little time, uh, partly of their own doing in the House of Commons. So. Um, I think it'll be interesting to watch how those conversations unfold. And as more and more vaccines come, if we're able to pivot back to more and more of the federal policy conversations and, and checking off more of these boxes in anticipation for an election. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but who knows what, because with the vaccinations, what's going on, it can, it can change basically at any time. Right. And so that brings us to the part of the show that I have been looking forward to and wanted to get to. Uh, I know a lot of people out there have been wondering, are we going to have a spring election? Was this stuff we saw from Prime Minister last week posturing? Is it, is it time to go now before sentiment changes again on vaccines? Um, so I've got a couple of different factors I wanted to highlight for people who are planning to go to the ballot box sometime in the spring. Uh, if I'm wrong, I fully expect that we play this back in a future episode and I'll admit to it. Uh, but based on a few things, I'm liking my odds for the earliest chance we'll see an election being in the fall. Uh, first one, I'll say we heard what would probably be the most definitive, I'm not going to call this, from NDP leader Jagmeet Singh this week and why he's not going to be the one at least to prompt an election. Here's a bit from him on why. The Prime Minister told his party to get ready for a spring election. All the while, the new variants of COVID-19 are spreading like wildfire. We've seen the effect of the new variant in Newfoundland in Labrador, where people are getting sick and they're afraid to vote. And it's meant that they've had to delay the election. I have committed that I will not trigger an election while we are fighting this pandemic. Will the prime minister commit today in this chamber that he will not call an election while we are fighting this pandemic? Yes or no? So a couple of things there, Nick, of course, uh, the NDP won't be the ones to prompt it, but there are a couple other parties in the House that could be feeling differently and play a role given it's a minority. Uh, but as well, the Prime Minister has said it is not on his agenda, but every time he's been asked, won't outright rule it out. Uh, so what do you think? Do we do we believe Jagmeet Singh? Do we believe Justin Trudeau in saying they don't want and won't be pushing for a spring election? 
Well, I, I think for Jagmeet Singh, we can believe what he's saying, because uh, the fact of the matter is, is the New Democrats are still rebuilding. Uh, their their numbers are kind of sputtering in terms of ballot support. Uh, they still need to to rebuild a war chest. So it's not surprising that uh, that he's kind of espousing uh, not having an election while the pandemic is on. You know, Rachel, back in the fall and uh, in December, when the Liberals had about a 10 percentage point lead, uh, I thought they might want an election, not saying that they would get the spring election that they want, but they would want one uh, because they had a significant advantage over the Conservatives. But we've seen in uh, in January and parts of February, especially that uh, that Liberal advantage is which was a double digit advantage kind of dissipate to about six points. So uh, so I'm not sure Justin Trudeau would like an election if the vaccines rolled out well. And to your point, if uh, if he can meet, his, meet or beat his target of September, uh, then he'll probably be priming for uh, some sort of election in the fall. But uh, with the numbers fragile right now, with vaccinations up in the air, the economy still sputtering along, uh, I would say probably not this spring, at least unless there's some kind of crazy thing that happens that turns the numbers on their head. Right. And I think there is one other aspect to this, and it's it's totally nerdy, I will admit, but it's crucial. The federal government has put forward legislation to change the Canada Elections Act to address the possibility of a pandemic election. So these are changes like allowing weekend voting, expanding mail-in balloting, and and things like this that uh, would be, I would say, probably essential in order to be able to run an election during a pandemic. Elections Canada has said they could do it in some form without these changes, uh, but it would certainly build more confidence and probably avoid a situation like what we've seen unfold in Newfoundland, where the pandemic Amen. situation changes quickly and an entire election kind of gets thrown haywire. So yeah. that bill is still at second reading. I'm pretty sure it was being debated this week. Uh, still a long way to go before that is law. So I think as long as that's on the books and, and not moving, we are probably okay in terms of the runway for us to all get our electioneering uh, gears in motion. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And you know, the thing is in, in 2020, there were some provincial elections that for all intents and purposes went without a hitch. But to your point, this is the, the pandemic or the Newfoundland and Labrador election has slammed up against the pandemic. And what started off is maybe this this provincial election will be kind of like the other ones. It'll happen and everything will be okay. Uh, turned seriously southward, so to speak, uh, with uh, flare-ups and outbreaks. And it shows that you know things can change between the first day of the election and like two weeks in, when uh, there could be an outbreak. And you know even with all the things that Elections Canada is going to introduce, any election will still be susceptible to a new breakout, to something happening that could significantly disrupt things. Yeah, and I think that's right and why you're looking at the timing for a fall being more likely with vaccines. If the prime minister holds true and everyone is vaccinated by the end of September, then there would be an opportune window there to still go to the polls in the same kind of season, at least fall, uh, as we see in normal general elections. And yes, of course, there's always going to be those variables. But with most people vaccinated, we would ideally be in a situation where we're not going to be seeing the same kind of turn of events so quickly as we're seeing now. But that's also going to have to be a well-timed writ drop, um, because if we get too far past everyone being vaccinated, I think the national conversation is going to switch to post-pandemic accountability. And yeah. I think the prime minister is going to want to get in at a time where um, he's still riding high from the vaccine 
finish line, I guess we could say, before people start to dig into an even more concentrated way, the hard conversations about what went wrong and what they could have done a lot better over the last year. Yeah, and I add, Rachel, the risk, that's definitely a top risk, uh, the issue of accountability and transparency and what was done. The second risk is that at some point, the stimulus is gonna run out or at least be less uh, than it is today or less generous. And uh, as soon as that happens, we're actually gonna see the real impact uh, and devastation that the pandemic will have wrought on the economy because uh, there are a lot of sectors that are hurting, a lot of Canadians that are still at home getting support from the government and who knows whether their jobs will be there come the fall, come the fall or, or after that. Right, and so you mentioned stimulus there, Nick. I'm wondering, uh, we've talked about a couple of different heavier topics. Is there a, a big takeaway or a bright spot of news in terms of uh, an upside of the last little while, um, at least from the economic point of view, given the fact that we're awaiting a budget at some point in the future? Uh, what's the, the, the better news you can leave our audience with this week uh, to go forward with and, and take away. Well, is this, the, is this for the Nick Nano's happy time uh, segment in our little chat? <laughs> yes, okay. That time has come. Okay, okay, okay. Forced, I will, uh, will be uh, more positive. Uh, the, one, uh, the one positive piece of news has to do with consumer confidence. We track consumer confidence for Bloomberg News every week. And actually what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is a 16 month high in Canadian consumer confidence, uh, that it's now uh, consumer confidence is at a level uh, that it was before the pandemic. And of note, Rachel, other countries are seeing consumer confidence kind of rise with uh, focus on the vaccination. These numbers have been driven by a couple of things. First of all, real estate and people's view that real estate will increase in value in their neighborhood. So that's one big driver. The other driver has to do with personal finances. Um, and, you know, we do know that for many Canadians, and this is where the stimulus comes in, they're financially stable because of the stimulus that the federal government has been pumping into the economy. The big question is what will happen once that gets scaled back? But, uh, you know, so where we're at right now is positively trending consumer confidence, but uh, people aren't spending money. They're repairing balance sheets, paying down debts and saving money. And uh, probably holding off to dust off that old bucket list, eh? I don't know about you, yeah. but I um, can't even wait to just have a, a moderately sized dinner party. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of Canadians are holding on to big plans or wanting to celebrate in some way that would hopefully then help stimulate the economy once once we're all a bit, bit, bit in better shape. Absolutely. And I think once those vaccinations roll out, whenever that is, hopefully it's in the fall, that... That great big long bucket list is gonna is gonna get a lot of action in terms of seeing friends, doing things, and uh, trying to get back to normal. All right. Well, I think we ended it off on a very good note. I'm now dreaming of what's going to be on the menu. Nick, thanks so much. Uh, if listeners or viewers want to read more about your latest work, the things you talked about today, where can they find that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick N I K Nanos, or go to the website www.nanos.co to get all those stats. Awesome. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello, and you can find Trendline on ctvnews.ca, on CTV News YouTube channel, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.